0: really good when when um, uh, Meg and I can really balance each other out because um, she gave us that beautiful Mother's Day uh, blessing and prayer and I was going to start out and probably still am um, with a little bit of crankiness about Mother's Day at church Um, but I I, I feel like I do this on good warrant because um, I Earlier this week I read a post by Fleming Rutledge who many of you know and I love and respect and she talked about her, how her mother and her grandmother, this is a cradle Episcopalian, uh, she said, my mother and grandmother taught me to ignore Mother's Day, a commercial gimmick, from as long as I can remember. They love to quote an old ep- minister who began the service. <laughs> and I'm sympathetic to this sort of liturgical crankiness, I guess you might call it. Um, so in our time together today, I want to look at Mother's Day inside of this Easter season, okay? And I can't really think of a better way to do that or a better place to start than to look at Jesus' own mother, Mary of Nazareth. So upon Mary's visit, and we'll we'll read the song that comes from that in a second, upon Mary's visit from this angel that announces this unprecedented, never-happened-prior-and-hasn't-since-happened arrangement of a God-birth, She greets that good news of great joy simply by amplifying God. Her response is not dissimilar to the other ladies and gentlemen in Jesus' family tree. If you open Matthew's Gospel or Luke's Gospel, you have all those baguette sections that we skip over to get to the good Christmas stuff, right? That's Jesus' family tree, and there's some interesting characters on there. But Mary does this. Mary answers in a much more kind of thick and all-encompassing way. She was to encounter what God was doing in in all the strange, unlikely, and desperate ways to remember God's promises and then to participate in their enactment. She was going to do this. She was going to participate in this renewal of all creation by by embodying that renewal. She was going to take that upon herself. So here we get the Magnificat, and I'm going to invite my mom to come up and read the Magnificat, which is so great. Uh, and Magnificat, if, if, if you're not familiar, the reason why we call it that is because it's from the Latin translation for the first line, my soul magnifies the Lord. So, so come on up here, I'll give you this mic.
1: He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he has made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. The word of the Lord.
0: Thanks, Mom. Uh, y'all missed a great spinal tap joke that happened about Mary's amplification. Uh, I don't I don't know if we can get to it. Yeah, this is Mary turning it to 11. You can't really tell. That's also on Marcus's amp and Matt's amp. Um, great. A, a few, car- <laughs> it was all worth it just for that <laughs> chuckle. Thank you, guys. <laughs> so I want to look at a few Characteristics of this sort of God-magnifying life on this Mother's Day that hopefully each of us can can kind of enter into for ourselves, whether or not we're moms, whether or whether or where we are in our journey with God. And these are not. This is not an exhaustive list. This is a few things uh, to notice. Uh, First thing that a magnifying life says yes to God. Magnifying life says yes to God. I love the idea that Mary sings. Even her voice and her words and her syntax is, is in an amplified register. The song she sings is a whole lot like the song that Hannah sang when Samuel was born. And you can go back this week and look at that in 1 Samuel 2. It's a song of of joy, but more importantly, it's a song that understands that God is at work. For both Hannah, who'd longed for a child, and for Mary, who was interrupted and surprised God, was at work. And that work would include both women, but it it wouldn't conclude with them. There There were vessels for this work. This work was far bigger than either of them, and they knew it. Perhaps their simple prayers weren't big enough to contain these recognitions, so they sang. Their voices had to amplify, their souls had to magnify in response to God, and and their response was a yes. It it makes sense that Jesus' life would start this way, would start with a yes from his mom, would be the product of such a legacy of responding in faith to God. Anytime we respond in faith to God, we are helped by the Spirit in this response. We're joining in this legacy as well. I love that Jesus learned this from Mary. Have you ever thought of that? That Jesus learned how to say yes to God because Mary knew how to say yes to God? That Jesus was first Mary's apprentice in faithfulness to God? Like the the little things you, you pick up when you're close to someone for a long time? He started start to think about it, there's this amazing kind of discipleship loop that is happening here. Mary's yes creates the condition and the possibility for Jesus' life to say yes to God. Mary's faithfulness begets faithfulness. So last week, I shared this slide um, defining discipleship from Dallas Willard. Discipleship is a process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. In Mary's case raising her boy, Mary was able to be like Jesus because Jesus was first like Mary. Isn't that crazy? That's, that's wild stuff that's happening here. This should be a really kind of scary and exciting realization for those grown-ups among us. What, what's a grown-up, right? And not just parents. That young ones in our midst and in our care will learn Jesus from us and soon, if not already, will surpass us in their capacity to know and follow and embody Jesus. They'll show back to us what they see, the Jesus they see in us. From personal experiences at Dad, and I know it's not Dad's day, but from personal experiences at Dad, it is fun and frightening when you start to hear your own words back to you, filtered through the mouth of about a three-year-old right like that's when it gets really intense because they only say the things that you're embarrassed of right but I think the other way around also works Where kids are showing us back uh, the best things uh, in us in the ways that we learn and know and follow and and participate in what God's doing Uh, I I love um, for images um, you talk about like, or sounds, you talk about like low fidelity and high fidelity. So I love the idea that kids are, are reflecting back to us in high fidelity, our faithfulness. And so we see this in Mary. A, we see in Mary, we see a steward and a shepherd, a caregiver, someone who shows Jesus how to say yes to God in everyday life. And this happened before Jesus was even in her womb. Uh, I think this also happens in in real life and and it's all like really romantic before the kid gets to be a part of this process. And so we see this in the Gospels. We don't have a whole lot of great stories of Jesus' childhood, I'm sure there were some noteworthy ones that got left out, but we see in Jesus' young adult life some of this dynamic happening. Jesus learning how to say yes from Mary, knowing how to say yes. I think a great example of this comes at the beginning of John's Gospel. The first sign. Most Gospels uh, talk about uh, miraculous things uh, in terms of wonders or miracles, but John always knows that as signs because signs point to something bigger and beyond themselves. Normally uh, in John's Gospel that's what God is doing, how God is making things new, how God is breaking in upon this world. So the first sign, if we remember, happens in John 2, this backwoods wedding, this famous water-to-wine wedding feast in Cana, where it appears that a young adult Jesus is kind of playing a wallflower at this party, right? While Mary is inciting him into action. They've run out of wine. Something needs to happen. Do something, Jesus. And he says, woman, what is this to me that you are telling me this, right? And after this kind of classic mother-son back and forth, she just Tells the Mater d', do whatever he tells you to do, which is such a great final word. (laughs) And it's also beautiful advice. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. It's advice that she herself would eventually have to heed. She does so later in the same gospel, in John's gospel, in John 19, at the foot of Jesus' cross when her suffering, dying son instructs his mother to take the beloved disciple as her son and vice versa. Jesus was asking her to create a new chosen family out of obedience. And Mary, once again, said something that each of us can and must say to Jesus, a simple and costly word of yes. So a magnifying life says yes to God. A magnifying life also has a, a really big vision. It's a vision of justice and shalom and abundance. This is no kind of uh, kind of romantic praise and worship song. The song which Mary bursts into is so transgressive and troublingly catastrophic because somehow she senses that these two irreconcilable categories. The oil and water of the universe, God and humanity, were now being made one, and nothing else could be the same. So uh, we have all this catastrophic, apocalyptic language. An unwed virgin teen would become the mother of God become man. There's all these arguments about how to even think about this in the early church um, whether to call Mary the, the God bearer, the Theotakos, or the Christ bearer, the Christotakos. And both of those are in the running for my Christian food truck um, idea, concept, trademark. Um, but wherever you come down on, this is the uh, Theotakos, the God bearer. Isn't that awesome? Eastern church really knows how to party when it comes to that. The low, in Mary's song, in this vision for justice and shalom and abundance, the low would be lifted and the high would be brought down. A flip is happening. The rich and the poor might swap roles and the buffet line would invert. Y'all would be pretty mad if we do that at potluck. All of a sudden, everyone at the back, you're at the front of the line now. We're moving the tables over, right? It seems that everything is up for grabs. That will that we'll all start walking backwards and playing left-handed. Creation is being made new. One thing is for sure that Mary's song is no domesticated praise and worship song. It's a radical vision and participation in God's justice. This summer, if you'll indulge me for a minute, this summer we'll be studying the book of Revelation because I think it's an amazing concluding vision of, of all these Amazing things that are at play, and it teaches how to read the Bible. And uh, there's there's just so much going on. It normally scares us. Uh, someone once said that uh, most the the way the church deals with Revelation is some churches are way too into Revelation, and some are not at all into it. And so, so hopefully we'll healthily engage. But um, in preparation, as one does, I've been making a collage. (laughs) I've been reading a lot of commentaries, but I've been making a collage because that's kind of how Revelation works, with collage and um, just kaleidoscopic imagery, right? And here's a little sneak peek at a detail from that Revelation collage. This is Revelation 12. This is the woman clothed in the sun with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head, battling a dragon with Michael the archangel that she... when she was about to give birth. Yes, this is a very different sermon for a very different Sunday. Maybe we can promise Mother's Day 2020 on this one. But my point there here is that there's this cosmic battle happening, and Mary stands in the middle of this vision, kind of the first mother of dragons bringing about justice and the reign of God. This is intense. This is what the church's version of Mother's Day should be like. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Right? Let's see. So back on earth, though, (laughs) a God magnifying life in the mold of Mary dares to see the high brought down and brought down a couple of pegs and those used to only drinking the dregs of the barrel being filled with their hearts content with rich fare. This is not because Mary is convinced like ideologically that this is the best way to rule. I don't think that that would cross her mind. No, it's because she knows what it feels like to be on the underside. She knows that this world isn't supposed to work this way and that God has other plans and can be trusted. That She, she knows she's inside of this story. She knows that Israel's greatest strength is her weakness and that reliance on the God who has shown strength with his arm. This is a faith out of Exodus. She has Exodus in her family tree. This is a hope in the God who makes a way where there's no way. And this is a song that pours forth from a mouth that's not used to being filled with food and can't keep quiet about the God who is working. I was trying to think of things that are happening right now that that look and feel and, and kind of taste like this vision for justice and shalom and abundance. And right now, to celebrate in this season, Mother's Day, and they've been doing it, this broad coalition um, of justice organizations has been bailing out black mamas for Mother's Day. And this is a picture uh, of a woman actually in D.C. area who... Um, was away from her six-year-old child because she couldn't post a uh, $60,000 cash bail. Um, And you see the way that that spirals into further and more family disruption and the devastating effects of pretrial cash bail and practices that it has on separating families. And so, like, folks that are already behind the eight ball and make a mistake or get in a a spot that they shouldn't be in or, or... Most will admit did something bad Then get put further behind the eight ball and often this has generational ripples Um, And so they're bailing them out they're interrupting this process they're they're bringing up valleys and Lowering down mountains and leveling out this field and bringing equity and this is this is what a God Magnifying vision of justice and shalom and abundance looks like I think lastly A magnifying life bears and births the new creation. I think in this Easter season, this is especially appropriate. Here we celebrate, over a course of 50 days, the Spirit resurrected Jesus, the first fruit of the new creation, the firstborn of a new humanity, which now... Needn't fear sin or death because sin and death has been taken on in Christ's own body and now has no hold over us. The gospel struggled to tell this good news and and do so often in terms of the first day of a new week. This is creation language. This is God making all things new in the midst of the old. God speaking, no singing, let there be and it is good over creation and through the church. And Mary is the initial bearer, literally, of this new creation. Uh, A God-magnifying life bears and birds the new creation. While none of us will be called to the exact vocation of Mary, each of us can kind of echo this sort of bearing, birthing life. In some specific way, we can do this where we're called, in the little corner that we're called to. Matt, uh, Madeline Langle speaks of this in terms of an artist, but I, I, I think there's a metaphor for us here. She says, I believe that each work of art, whether it's a work of great genius or something really small, comes to the artist and says, here I am, enflesh me, give birth to me. Eh? And, and so often, that's, that's how God speaks to us. And, and these small um, responsibilities, these small initiatives that say, here I am, enflesh me, give birth to me, carry me, and bring me forth in this, into this world. Consider the concentration and attention it would take to approach our lives and our work and how we listen to God this way. Consider the risk and the vulnerability that it takes, the cost. Ask any mom in this room how transforming in every way mind body identity habits hopes it is to bear a child how much time it takes what kind of a, a wedding of the natural and the supernatural it takes to do this work how many people it takes around you to make it all work what if this is exactly kind of the allegory for the ways we join with God and renewal? What if it's this sort of surrender that's required of us to see and to take part in healing around us? Talking about new creation and healing, I can't help but think of this wonderful piece of art made a few years back, and I know a lot of you know about this. Uh, This is from one of the nuns at Our Lady of the Mississippi Abbey in Iowa. And it shows Mary and Eve, and it's kind of simple and it's really lovely. It's it's the mother, or at least the first woman of the old creation in the fall, standing side by side and interacting in the same frame with Mary, the mother of the new creation of Christ. And I love they're so close to each other, and they're, that it's not like. You know, like when you break up with, with someone and you try to fold the picture over so that you can get someone out of the frame? You can't really do that because there's arms and they're, they're, they're connected, right? They're in the same frame. So I just want to notice a few things about this because I think it's so beautiful, and sometimes uh, these pictures say more than our, our deep uh, theological words. But I want you to notice their setting, first and foremost. This is the site of Adam and Eve's sin, the garden. This is where they grasped and usurped who God was and what God wanted from them. This is the first time humanity lifted itself up and put God low. The garden might also anticipate the place where an anguished and abandoned adult Jesus would sweat tears as he embraced a calling to be lifted up on the cross so that humanity might return from exile of sin and death. The garden also, and we'll learn later this summer, turns into a garden city of the New Jerusalem, our final destination to which we hope and lean into as we work and walk with God in our renewed relationships. Notice also, notice the fruit, the fruit that Eve still clutches I wonder if this is a bit of disobedience that she still embraces even as Mary pries her free hand to touch her belly, and to feel what's coming, to feel the fruit of God's love, to feel what it feels like when he kicks. Mary's fruit is not clutched. It's embodied, and it's it's shared. She's filled with God's spirit, and God's fruit is born from her. Notice kind of their postures, the way their heads are tilted and their facial expressions. Eve's downcast. Her cheeks are red with embarrassment. Mary attempts to make eye contact, not out of, I don't think, condescension, but compassion. The savior of the world is in her belly, And will lift Eve and our heads. Finally, notice the serpent at the bottom of the frame. This is also Revelation 12 stuff. What has Eve, wrapped as a prisoner, sin and death and disobedience, is now being crushed by Mary. I love how gentle and nonchalant she looks. Like this is the difference between like a city woman and a country woman. You know, country woman kill copperheads, like, no problem, you know? This kind of is what Mary looks like here. I think that, you know, Mary is bearing the Prince of Peace, and so she's able to neutralize, to conquer, to cancel the threat of this snake, not with stress or fanfare, but with grace and a sort of power that manifests itself as quiet, secure strength. So as we go today, I pray that you continue to take this image with you and consider the freedom of our good news, our gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider the freedom to embrace the gift of God for the forgiveness of our sins rather than whatever we're holding on to. A freedom to say yes to God and to say no to the sin that entangles us and traps us, makes us less than humans in the image of God. A freedom to participate in God's renewal of all things through the Son, the first fruits of the new creation. So I wanna close with a poem written by another nun at that same uh, Abbey, I think they worked together. My mother, my daughter, Life-giving Eve, do not be ashamed, do not grieve. The former things have passed away. Our God has brought us to a new day. See, I am with child through whom all will be reconciled. O oh Eve, my sister, my friend, we will rejoice together forever, life without end. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for Mary's magnifying life that inspires us uh, to live similarly, to live lives oriented towards justice and peace and participating with what you're doing, lives that say yes to you and no to everything less, lives that bear and birth your good work in this world. Lord, thanks for examples around us, role models and uh, big sisters and moms uh, around us. Thanks for little sisters uh, who uh, are living into this in various ways. Thanks for this church that holds this call uh, together and embodies it in different ways. Continue to, to draw us near to you, to draw us into your work. Thank you for all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.